Well, welcome everyone to the Robin Walter Show. Today we have a, a special report that's going to be uh, probably shorter than the typical program, kind of a midweek program, something I sort of want to get off my chest and get out there. I don't want it uh, commingled, if you will, with other topics of which there are so many. I'm tr- fighting fighting the pressure to go to uh, two hours of programming a week, but we'll see. Uh, I have some people who are have asked about, well, why don't you do it with video on YouTube and so forth. I'm not inclined to do that, not because I like doing the program in my pajamas. That's not the, not the deal, although on occasion I have. But um, I just sort of don't like the idea. But if for some reason you think that that would be appropriate or it would have a wider reach, you can let me know. Email me, robinwaltershow at gmail.com. Today's topic is one that's been brewing and I've been stewing because I sort of haven't wanted to do it. It's one that could get me booted off the air. But a lot of people have been booted off the air for telling the truth. And this, uh, if I give a title to it, it would be the rise of black supremacy. I mentioned it last week. I think this is only going to go out to the podcast audience and the uh, web page audience and not the uh, terrestrial stations because it doesn't fit with their programming schedule. But I want to just state at the onset here I'm grieving in my heart for a particular segment of our population. And it's the black brothers and sisters who are caught a bit in this world of being identified by skin color with those who are not really fellow travelers in the spirit. They're agitators, they're Marxists, BLM cohorts, uh, not with them. But uh, and and in many cases, those who have black masters, as they did in the days of slavery, in other words, are being driven by Marxist ideologues that are black, which are all being funded by whites. After all, wasn't it the white slave owner, the plantation owner? who then gave special privileges and perks to the taskmaster, who was frequently black, to run roughshod, if necessary, over the black workers in the fields. It was. And the fact of the matter is, slavery has deep roots throughout the entire world. The widest group of slaveholders were Muslims who conscripted anyone and everyone. Could be other Muslims. Frequently it was blacks. They were, uh, you know, whites. And, I, you know, I, I suppose Hispanic. I'm not really sure on that. Uh, 
but they weren't uh, they were equal opportunity slaveholders they didn't really care the color they just wanted the body and understanding that in America yes most of the slaves were owned by whites there were free black men who had their own slaves that is a fact not a huge number of course but it's a, an uncomfortable truth for those who only teach and preach one side of the issue. And the whole issue of reparations, which uh, I think we'll get to in a bit, which is not biblical in the least, not even close to being biblical, that somehow the, the sins of the parents are attributable to the children, and the children's sins are attributable to the parents. Look, I don't have any obligation to anybody other than love. That's the only thing. Owe no man anything but love. And I do that. And it starts with respect that typically begins in the area of race with a black male. But I give great respect to black females. And you owe no person other than love. Beyond that, you don't have to make up for somebody else's sins, nor somebody else deserving of a handout from somebody who had nothing to do with a grievance. It is clearly unbiblical, and it's stated multiple times in Scripture. But my my grief here is that my black Christian brothers and sisters, whom, to whom I occasionally, not as much as I'd like, have an opportunity to preach in churches that, but for me, they're all black. I enjoy it. I'm not there trying to do anything uh, to sidle up to them. I'm not trying to pull a Hillary Clinton and talk some uh, black Uber language, uh, in, which Barack Obama did when it was convenient. Look, I don't fake it. You may not like what you get, but you'll know that I'm not faking it. And those brothers and sisters are caught because they know the truth. But they don't have the big microphone within the black community. And sadly, as whites become increasingly suspicious, and I'm speaking primarily about non-Christian whites, who really have maybe have or have not harbored racist feelings because they're blacks that distinctly have racist feelings. There's no question about it. It goes both ways. That old business about you can't be black and be a racist is a pile of crap. It really is. Try getting elected as a white guy in Baltimore in an area that's about 80% black. doesn't happen. It does not happen. Well, I feel badly because they're sort of caught between the truth and their identity and what is assumed to be their position on a whole host of things. Now, I have a very, very dear half-black brother, and I'll get to that in a minute. He's a brother in the Lord, a full full brother in the Lord. His racial identity is half-white, half-black. And he's been bothered for some time about questions that would get posed to him, and his answers would bother the blacks that were asking the question, or the whites, for that matter. The whites thinking they had an automatic answer, and then they'd be shocked. Well, 
he said, how do I answer this question about reparations? And I said, if you want to deflect it, it's actually pretty easy. He said, really? I said, yeah, just simply tell them that you think that there are a lot of blacks that owe whites reparations. Now, I don't truly mean that because of the biblical references I just gave you, but as an argumentative point to make a bigger point, I said, use it. And he said, why? I said, because there were a lot, about 335,000 whites, white men who had children who never came home from the Civil War and gave up their life so blacks could go free. 335,000. It exceeds by far, way by far, the number of blacks that were murdered by whites. I'm not trying to draw a matter of equivalence in any way, shape, or form other than to say this was simply something that nobody ever seems to consider. He loved it. He has used it, and he said it has shut down every person that's asked him the question because it's something they haven't thought of. They cannot deal with it. And so it goes on. And this isn't primarily about the reparations because reparations are not never enough. What, it started out at 225000 per black person in California, and I did the program where I said, well, that won't be enough. It'll never be enough. And now it's up to $5 million. Goodness sakes, at that rate, Baltimore and Chicago will have white majorities because they'll all move to California to pick up five mil, which is stupid, and five mil won't be enough. But it's not the bulk of the people demanding that. In fact, the matter is the great, great majority of blacks, about 80%, believe that there should be better, uh, more verifiable voter registration to be able to vote. Vote. The talking heads on the black side are fueled and funneled by elitist whites, and I'd like to believe that they form a distinct minority. However, they have the big microphone, and whites don't seem to have the guts to say anything about any of this until me. I mean, I had one person, one black woman say at a church I spoke at, she said, uh, I asked her, I said, you know, I'm just curious. Why would a church that's predominantly black invite me, not because I'm racist, but just because I tell the truth? And at the time, I would weekly shred Barack Obama. And her answer was very interesting. She said, because finally, there's a white guy who has the guts to tell the truth. That's all we want is the truth. Well, I'm going to tell you a few things here today to kind of prime the conclusion of this message, which I said is probably not going to go the full 56 minutes that I normally do. But I was bothered at the um, Super Bowl. I don't watch much Super Bowl, but I, I can't stand the creeping wokeness. The black national anthem is not a national anthem. I mean, honestly, um I think I would maybe kneel during the black national anthem. Certainly wouldn't stand. It's nothing anti-black. But we've got one national anthem. One. Not two. 
Who's trying to create the division? The left, Satan, who drives people by emotions and by experience to, to split. I thought we were e pluribus unum, out of many, one. But all this seems to be unum e pluribus, or e unum pluribus. Out of one are many. Totally contrary. Everything that's happening today is totally contrary to the premises upon which we were founded. Why don't I recognize the Black National Anthem? The same reason I don't recognize Black History Month. It's because I'm not a racist. Only racists observe those things. Only those who want to make a distinction and and play a victim card as to forming the basis for deserving special attention, which means actually superior attention, which I will show you here in just a minute. Well, I'm not just a minute. I'm going to show it to you right now. Increasingly, school districts are dropping honors classes in the name of, ready for this? Equity. Equity is sort of this amorphous word it's a bogus word i mean i know it's if you take the value of your house subtract your mortgage that's your equity financial equity that's all it ever meant until it's now become the new new contrived term for affirmative action meaning giving people things that they didn't earn or necessarily deserve paid for by people who didn't cause the problem in the first place so these school districts are dropping honors class in the name of equity. Writing here, Regan Reese for the Daily Caller News Foundation says, school districts across the country are no longer allowing students to take honors classes in an effort to increase equity, according to the Wall Street Journal. So this is really, uh, this is pretty interesting because what is being said here is, uh, we think we can lift up underachievers by holding back and suppressing overachievers, which racially, ethnically, would be Asians and Jews, neither one of which am I. They're the ones that score at the top. They always did. I mean, <laughs> there weren't many Asians at the University of Michigan when I was there, but... But the fact matter is there are a lot of Jews, and it seemed like they were always somewhere ahead of me on the curve. Not until, I mean, i got to share something here. It's kind of a bit of an aside. But I did not serve the Lord when I went to law school. And I quit the first year so that they would not flunk me out. I was on the verge of flunking out from Wake Forest University Law School. And I quit. But when I got serious with the Lord, committed my life to Jesus Christ wholly and unashamedly, after some years, I went back to school. I went to law school, and I graduated first in my class. Not even close, actually. Because I'm the smartest guy in the world? Heck no. Ask my wife. She'll tell you that I'm not. But God honored me when I honored him. He raised me up from failure to success as a result of putting my trust in him. That would be true of anyone. 
So the overachiever, and I guess I was, I was always afraid I was going to flunk out again. My last semester of my third year, gosh, I got to... I got to nail this exam or I might flunk out. I'm already first in the class. I can't flunk out. It's too late to flunk out. So maybe I was an overachiever. But you don't, you can't lift underachievers by holding back and suppressing those who are determined to succeed but for whatever motivation there is. You cannot do that. This article goes on to say that the Wall Street Journal reported that on average black and Latino students enroll less in accelerated or honors classes. All right, my answer. So, is that why, why would they enroll less? Well, the answer supposedly here was citing from the Culver City School Board in California that students who were not in the honors classes felt, okay, we're going into emotions here, felt less successful, motivated, and unable to break out of the molds that they established when they were 11 years old. Okay. So what they're saying here is that it's blacks and Latinos not, entering or signing up for honors classes at the same level as whites because of how they have how they feel about their lack of success or perceived lack of success in the past well let me ask you why would you think that you are unsuccessful if at every turn somebody had to give you a special accommodation Somebody had to turn math into uh, something that supposedly is racist, which they claim that it is, so they eliminate math, even though 23 schools in Baltimore, 23, didn't have one single student that could pass a math proficiency test. Chicago has over 50 schools, not one single student could pass a reading proficiency. Well, let me ask you, if you tell those students by way of action, maybe not by words, that you know what, we're, math is overrated. You don't really have to know that. You don't have to read that well. to get. If you dumb yourself down as a school, what have you told the students? You have told them, that they're unsuccessful, they need special treatment, they can't handle it, and plus these schools feed them a victim mentality and creating a victim persona that has them believing that they can't succeed, and therefore because they believe they can't succeed, they don't, and because they don't, we got to eliminate the honors courses and then suppress and eliminate the opportunities for Asians, Jews, whites, and those blacks who do succeed from taking honors classes. My goodness. In other words, the attempt to accommodate alleged victimhood is actually one of the causes of the making of the victimhood and the failure rate. Let me use it as a flip side example. You know the story of Ben Carson, single mom, raised in poverty in Detroit. 
Ben Carson was basically flunking out, failing everything. And without going into detail, Mama cut no slack with Ben. She cared enough and loved her, saw the potential, and so what does he end up becoming a worldwide renowned physician from flunking out? I mean, he made a bigger upgrade than I did from quitting law school to graduating first in class. I'm not a world-renowned lawyer. Like, he's a renowned, world-renowned physician. You know, the scripture that applies here, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you see yourself as a victim, you'll be a victim. If you see yourself as a failure, you will be a failure. And why would you see yourself as a victim and a failure? Because everybody is trying to cover themselves for failing to teach and instruct, admonish, encourage, and yeah, kick people in the buns that need a kick in the buns. And so the message of failure, the message of victimhood comes from those who are supposed to be a part of lifting those students out of poverty and that wrong-headed way of thinking. And I'll give you a flip-side example. You know, if you wanted to have supposed racial equity in sports, you got sports that blacks dominate. Where's the racial equity there? There are scouts that will skip over white athletes on the thought that they can't make it and won't cut it. And you've got white athletes that think, look, I can't compete, so why bother? And guess what? They end up not competing well. Let's flip these things around because they can flip around. Okay, i got to keep moving here because uh, I am taking more time than I thought. So Black History Month. There's only one history, folks. Anything else is racist. And people, places, schools that get shited for not celebrating black history, being forced, in effect, to try to shame them into covering something that is fundamentally racist to say, you know what, because they've because they been taken advantage of, blah, blah, blah. We need to have Black History Month to be the equivalent of white history. Well, I'll tell you what. Black history in the United States does not equal the white history because black history is about what? Blacks are about 12 or 13% of the population. Why should it? Look, history is history. It doesn't get segmented or segregated. Because the Black History Month, black national anthem, are all segregationist concepts. You see, in the thought that while separate but equal is wrong, separate but equal is sort of the path that we're going on to and now separate but maybe superior being special treatment. Look, I shouldn't be forced to uh, go on the air and cite Black History Month any more than I should be forced to speak about um, queer pride parades. Now, trust me, I'm not making a moral equivalence between blacks who have played historically significant roles and queer pride. None whatsoever. My point is being forced to say something. Well, what's the difference? Well, I coined a term many years ago, 
First one to use it dealt came out of a story in Canada called Hate Silence. Forced expression. You're presumed guilty if you don't open your mouth and speak in favor of something. Trust me, that is against the First Amendment. Nobody should be forced to say anything. That's why we have the have the Fifth Amendment. You can't be required to testify against yourself. But this is right out of the Marxist, uh, also known as the Devil's Playbook, to create division among the races. And he's doing a darn good job. So if you have both blacks and whites on the left and some just plain old ignorami thrown in there to boot, why would they? Why do people use unwittingly slave-based stereotypical words? Now I want to back up a second here to the use of a word that is now no longer used: mulatto. It used to mean one black parent, one white parent. It's out of use, I guess, because it harkens back to the days of slavery or so forth. So we have. The terms multiracial or mixed race, whatever, I couldn't care less what the terms are, frankly. But I don't like the term African-American. African-American seems to denote a geopolitical reference to race and not reference to race. You don't believe me? Stop some black person on the street and ask him what it's like to be an African-American. He says, hey, man, I don't know. I'm from Jamaica. I say that because I know a bunch of Jamaicans. No. you got to be American before you can be African-American. It's just black. Just leave it that way, okay? Barack Obama was not the first African-American president, and he wasn't the first black American president. He's the first half-black American president. Right? So... Well, you know, I'm going to hold off on that. I'm going to reference something in the Super Bowl in just a minute here. But do you see what this is referencing? The fact of the matter is i got to give a bit of a history lesson here because when you talk about black as being African-American, when it represents actually mixed races, but let's make it just simple. I'm not talking about Tiger Woods who has some, Asian in there, black, and I, I, you know, I don't know what's all in there. It doesn't matter to me. But when you talk about a mixed-race person as being African-American, you're actually supporting and speaking in slave terms. That's why I didn't like Jalen Hurts' comment, that he was so thrilled Nothing against Jalen Hurts personally. He's a great quarterback. But he was so thrilled that there were finally two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. Come on, Jalen, don't give me that crap. Black quarterbacks have been around for 30, 35 years, and they're making 10, 20, 30 million bucks a year. Don't give me the victim mentality. Don't give me the lack of opportunity crap, Ola. Don't let, I, I don't want to hear LeBron James, who's a billionaire, talk about white supremacy. Really, please save it. So Jalen Hurts and accommodating whites who drive this, the elites that drive it, don't have the guts to speak the truth on these issues. 
actually subscribe to slave terminology by using African-American or or black for those who are not 100% black. And I will prove it. I want to start with a provision whereby in the Constitution, I think you'll find this interesting, okay, blacks in the South, slaves, for the purposes of apportionment, did not count as a whole person. Yeah. People say, I can't believe it. Well, the fact of the matter is we couldn't get the Constitution in place without some compromises. So, because every, every census, the population would be taken, and based on that population, it would determine how many representatives you had in Congress. And because the great, great majority of blacks were in the South, the, the whites in the South wanted the blacks to be counted as a complete and whole person. Because the more blacks that were part of the southern population, the greater representation the whites had, the South had, in Congress. Who didn't want blacks to be counted as persons for the purposes of the, of the census and the apportionment? It was whites in the North, not in the South. I, gotta, I, I will guarantee you 99.5% of the people would flunk that test question if given to them. Who came up with the idea that blacks or slaves would only count as three-fifths of a person for the purposes of determining apportionment and representation in Congress? They all say it was the South. So here's the slave owners wanting the slaves to be counted as whole people, even if for not necessarily meritorious purposes, whole persons for the census, and it was the whites in the north that wanted to discount their worth, and they ended up, to get this thing passed, settled at three-fifths. Point number one. Point number two. The reason this reference to, okay, so take, I don't know if Jalen Hurts is 100% black. I don't. Maybe he's got some white somewhere. I don't see it that way, and we're going to prove this in a minute. But Patrick Mahomes is definitely half white and half black. So, the to say that we're well, that's, we're so thrilled that we have an African American. That is a slave mentality and thinking, and here's why: because you are deemed black in the South. If you were one-eighth or more black, one-eighth or more, you were black. So to say that somebody who is only half black or half white or whatever is black actually is a throwback to slave mentality and slave thinking that if you are any part black, you're black. So here it is, is, is a black guy calling, using actually a slave mentality form of thinking and saying he's so thrilled that there are two African-American quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. So he's wrong. He seems like a nice guy. He sounds like he's a guy of faith, but he's young. He's deluded. He really, I'd, I'd like him to hear this program. 
But the other part of this is when you say those statements, it is overtly racist. And to prove my point, let's suppose, instead of saying, I am so thrilled that there are two black quarterbacks, two African-American quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, and they've been around for 30, 35 years. I mean, goodness sakes, you can go back to the late 80s, I think, early 90s. What if I said, you know what, I am so thrilled that there is finally a really great white halfback named uh, Christian McCafferty. And let's say let's say the, the Niners made it to the Super Bowl. I am so glad there is finally a white halfback who is really great playing in the Super Bowl, which we haven't had. Would you deem that racist? Of course you would. Do you get the point? I would think so. But it's tragic what is occurring, occurring because this entitlement to commit crime and be relieved of the consequences of crime furthered by the race-baiting democrats in D.C. and in the big cities. It is unbelievable the amount of black-on-white crime. You know why you can only find, you can only find a couple of videos of white-on-black crime? Because that's all that exists. Yeah, that's why you got to keep talking about George Floyd and the two white guys that killed some black guy down in Georgia. I forgot the Osbury brothers, or I forgot what their first name was. Because and they've got to play. The left has to play them over and over and over to play and show the victim card to make sure that they keep blacks on the Democratic left wing plantation. Because if the left loses the blacks, they lose. Well, absent voter fraud, of course which they have turned into a fine art. They have, they have to play that. But the, what has happened as a result of no consequences for bad behavior, you have this situation that's just repulsive in the state of Wisconsin where uh, white students in an elementary school, this is 6 to 10 years old, I said Wisconsin, Springfield, Ohio, were forced to make politically charged statements. The report here, which is absolutely true, says, quote, black students at an elementary school in Ohio hunted down, captured, and dragged white students to the playground where they were forced to recite Marxist slogans against their will on camera. End quote. This is, these are the seeds of the uh, BLM activism, which is extremely violent, nothing peaceful. Martin Luther King Jr. would puke on Black Lives Matter leaders. But the seeds of this are now placed into the classroom. You've got kids who've been charged. This is eight and nine-year-olds with assault. Where did they learn this? Who's teaching them this? This is like Muslim parents teaching their 8-year-olds to hate Jews. Well, guess what? They hate Jews, and by the time they're 10, they got an AK-47 shooting Jews. So there were students who tried to escape, but the black students then herded the white students together and then forced them to verbally submit to Black Lives Matter, beating some of them off up. The ones that tried to flee, they were, quote, chased down, 
escorted, dragged, or carried back to submit to the black racist ideology. The Blaze reported Ryan Springer, 12-year-old white boy, quote, apparently was among those forced to recite the slogan of the BLM movement. He was infuriated. Where was the school staff when all this was taking place? Nowhere, because they don't have the cojones to tell the truth, to embarrass somebody that's associated with a particular race. I, I, I've got a stack of articles. The videos are everywhere of blacks beating up. The black and white crime is over the top. But it's fueled, fueled by race baiters like Al Sharpton, what an oxymoron that is, but funneled and, and fed by whites like George Soros. The Blaze said, quote, the BLM, the leftist group the Springfield aggressors allegedly forced their victims to pledge fealty to, was associated, of course, with the 2020 riots that did $1 billion in damage, $1 billion, and of the 8,700 BLM-related events at the time, 574 reportedly involved violent acts in over 140 cities, including shootings, arson, looking, looting, vehicular crimes, and explosions. 2,000 people were attacked or injured, and 20 people were killed in the BLM riots. And why? Because they were given the sense that they were entitled to do this because all they've been told is your victims, your victims, whites are racist. Guess what? Garbage in, garbage out. Next story. This was the Wisconsin one. Lawsuits filed in Wisconsin where teachers have now been told to pay more attention to black students than to white and Asian students. This is in Metropolitan Madison School District. Do blacks realize how condescending this is? No wonder you have a, though some have an inferiority complex when there's this condescension given by whites that, hey, we got to pay more attention to you because, frankly, you just don't have much of a brain and you can't comprehend things, so we're going to have to just coddle you and cud and all of those sorts of things. This is condescending bullcrap. The rising tide is supposed to lift all boats. But in these schools, the, tide, the water has been drained. They said that Madison school teachers, quote, must prioritize your African-American students meeting with you first and more often. First and more often. Doesn't this amount to separate but equal? Of course it does. Now let's get to Al Sharpton. If there's ever, uh, well, I won't get into that. So he's doing the eulogy for Tyree Nichols, right? Okay, go ahead. I don't care about the, you know, whether he's doing this or not. But listen to the content, an excerpt from his talk, which he said twice. He is, okay, so the five officers are all black. Now, this didn't get quite the press it would if the officers were all white, but they had to find some white officer somewhere, so they fired some gal, looks kind of butch, frankly, but whatever, 
who apparently has some supervisory capacity over the five blacks who didn't order the five black officers to do what they did, but she's in some supervisory capacity, and they had to they had to find a white culprit somewhere. So they had to go up the ranks. Twice, twice, Sharpton is badgering and scolding these five blacks because, quote, you beat a brother to death. You beat a brother to death. How racist is this? Because what's the implication? I wouldn't be scolding you if you beat a white guy to death, but shame on you that you beat a brother to death. My goodness. Well, you know what? This just goes on and on and on. I could fill multiple hours with this, and I'm not going to. But I want to finish with something here that I think is emblematic of where we are. And I, I want my black brothers and sisters to just realize the feelings that are rising up among, I know I know this, among whites that particularly don't know the Lord and some that do. Comments like, I will never move to a city that's predominantly black. I will never go to some black area unless I've got a gun. I am not going to do this and I'm not going to do that because they're concerned about personal safety and the fact that if it's a, if it's a, white, perp, a white perp and a black victim, They'll get sued. They'll be all over the papers forever. But if it's a black perp and a white victim, it won't even make the press. So I want to read something from a history teacher at a school here in the United States who had contacted me, uh, having heard the previous program, or I referenced some of this, and wanted to share something because there was a particular parent that was attempting to shame the faculty of this school for not celebrating Black History Month. And this happens to be a Christian school. I thought that this was so well written that I asked the party when they contacted me, I said, well, could you, could you send what you sent to the, the other teachers in the school? Um, because this person had complained to all the teachers in an attempt to apparently shame them. And this is what he wrote. He said, "Is it is a this is what this woman wrote. This is a shame on you broadside against the teaching staff. Moreover, it carries the self-righteous tone of modern woke culture, which is the comply or be canceled attitude of our era. And for this woman hinted that she wants to be able to recommend this particular school. He said, this is a manipulative secular tool to force compliance. And it's not okay, for I've seen this fear cripple a school. The person complaining ignores conveniently all the dignity of man and imago dei, which is in the image of, mean, in the image of God in Latin, celebration, that exists in so many ways. We celebrate that there is neither Jew nor Greek. But this Christian interpretation and biblical direction on race 
apparently isn't good enough for modern expectations. We are expected to go well over and above in order to prove our non-racist credentials. And every effort on that front will be received as conspicuous and contrived. Wow. Additionally, this person's expectations involve a comprehensive commitment to celebration, which means that nothing we will do or ever do could be sufficient in terms of filling that expectation. And I just want to throw in here my comments about this ridiculous rising of reparations. He said, and he goes on to say, he said, I will continue with my commitment to learning and growing. I will faithfully teach honestly and with conviction when I get to Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington, and Frederick Douglass, and others where the commitment will be to not teach based on the color of one's skin, but on the content of their character. End of letter. My goodness. You know, and I had this thought after I read this, if for some reason the school is going to get shame for not doing that, they're going to, a lot of people are going to say secretly at first, God bless them for simply having the guts to speak the truth. Because the truth hurts often, but if it's only feelings that are being hurt and the feelings were created by those who are trying to whip up a frenzy of, of injustice under the screwy and, frankly, amorphous term of social equity, which today no longer means, frankly, equal opportunity. It means equal results. If the results aren't equal, then there must not have been equal opportunity. And is this why there are so many Asians that are getting the snot beaten out of them, frankly, by blacks in New York? Jews wearing their head, head cap are the target? It's hardly ever Hispanics. I don't know what what it is going on. But there is this perception, and it has to come from somebody feeding them poison. And what's the answer here? Well, I love what Arizona has done. And I think now Kentucky and Texas. And that... They have broad-based school voucher programs. Every, if you could, every Christian family ought to consider moving to Arizona, where you will now get $7,000 a year, not to spend on toys, but to apply to for the tuition to any private or, or school. You can go to public school if you want. You can go to government school if you want your kids to be brainwashed. But you can go to private schools, be they Christian non-Christian, non, uh, just secular private schools to give your child the best education possible. And I will tell you, the elitist left-wing whites are so condescending and are so fearful of true black liberation, and they really are, the last thing they could possibly handle 
are blacks getting a great education by virtue of parental choice and being part of their own process of lifting them out of whatever the misery is that they're in, which frankly is not different than a whole lot of whites. But nonetheless, that scares the pants off the left. For, the, for blacks to come to the conclusion that they've been lied to, cheated, stole from, deceived, suppressed by your elitist white plantation owners in the media and in academia. And then they find that Jesse Jackson and the L. Sharpton taskmasters to carry out whatever is necessary to make sure that they never get to leave the plantation. You know, I love this the, the reference in the letter. Have we not, does Scripture not say there is neither Jew nor Greek? Well, does that not mean that, would it not say there is neither black nor white, nor brown, nor Asian? You know, I don't celebrate a diversity when the diversity is of ideas that are perverse and contrary to the Word of God. But have the diversity revolve around simply a a difference in ethnicity or race where everybody involved really has a commitment to Jesus Christ. Now that is fun. I will never forget, never forget, one of the times that I ministered in a prison in uh, eastern, southeastern California called Chuckawalla. They ended up having a revival there, and it became known as Churchawalla. And then they wouldn't let me get in unless I took the COVID shot, which I will not get, but that's not the point of this program. But when I was there, uh, we had a group from our church, and I played the guitar. We had a guy play the bass, and I think we had a guy who played the mandolin, and we did a bluegrass number called I Heard My Mother Call My Name in Prayer. It's been done by different artists, Ricky Skaggs, but it's bluegrass. There was in that prison, I don't know, self-appointed or just elected however however people rise to positions of authority within the prison system i don't know but there's a guy there by the name of hoxie and i think he was black i think he was in there for murder who knows maybe a triple axe murder i don't know and it doesn't really matter but we sang this song i felt like we should sing this Because I knew somewhere in that body, which there are a lot of blacks, a lot of whites, few Muslims, actually, Hispanics, everything was in there. There is diversity in prisons, trust me, from that perspective. But I knew there were those in there who were largely there as a result of the absence of a father figure, which you talk to. Gosh, Michael Massey, you talk to Candace Owens, and you, you talk to any of these 
articulate conservative blacks will tell you sits at the root of the problems in the black community. And then they get fed garbage on top of the absence of the fatherness, the absence of fathers. But there were those in there that I knew had believing mothers. It's just something that was a spiritual thing. I just knew the Holy Spirit just said, you know, some of these have spiritual mothers who prayed for them, and they didn't listen. They didn't take the advice. The prayers were not heeded. But today, that day that we were there, there were going to be those who remembered their mothers praying for them. So we sang the song, I Heard My Mother Call My Name in Prayer. And when Hoxie got up afterwards, when it was all done, he said, tears in his eyes, flowing down his cheeks, he said, you know, us brothers aren't supposed to like bluegrass music. We aren't supposed to like that kind of music. But how can you deny the Spirit of the Lord when it moves in whatever form it comes in, whatever musical trappings there are? And he pointed out the fact that all of our blood runs red, but the blood that really truly binds is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I should tell you not with, uh, that that day at the altar call, I have never been a part of a sermon or, or preached a service where there's been that kind of a response. Seventy-seven men came forward to give their heart to the Lord. Oh, the crying and the sobbing and the repentance because they did hear their mother call their name in prayer. And the, somehow the song hearkened back to the days of their disobedience. And it was brought forward to a day of acknowledgement and now repentance and confession. That is the kind of diversity I love. You know, the, the kind of diversity I love is the one where when you have it, it no longer really means much because it's just a side note. That's all it really is. And so keep in mind, whatever race you are listening to this podcast, and actually I've gone long enough that this is going to be able to be on the airwaves of our terrestrial stations. So I guess God had a bigger plan than I did in this, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither black nor white, nor brown, nor Asian. Can't call them, say, yellow anymore. I don't know why they were called yellow. Can't do that anymore, but it doesn't matter. In the body of Christ, there is only one connecting blood, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And so with this, and I, w I would hope, wherever you're hearing this program, that you know my heart here and that you would share this because it is a message of actually of repentance and accountability. But accountability first, acknowledging the truth, and let's be the church that Jesus Christ has called us to be, the redeemed. 
hey, get get used to getting along with each other. We'll be together in heaven forever. God bless you all. Remember, the ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. We will see you next week.